Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Bienvenidos a la serie de sermones de Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse, urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing, helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now here's this week's sermon. Check it out. God bless you. It is just about the start of a new year. It is December the 20, 31st. Wah. And, uh, and I think, you know, usually this is the time of year we make resolutions and we look at our life and say, what needs improvement? I think it's a time of year when we should ask ourselves the big question. And the big question is, what is my life about? When I really honestly look at my life, what is my life about? And with that in mind, I'm reading from Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent my messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah had a vision. He had a calling, a purpose that made his life passionate. His calling was to rebuild Jerusalem. It was to restore the temple of the Lord. It was to fix the holes in the wall. It was to bring back the people of God to serve their God as one. His main purpose in life was to bring Israel back home. A man went to his doctor with a mysterious complaint. Doc, can you help me? Everything I touch, everywhere I touch, I experience pain. I take my finger and touch my knee and it hurts. I take my finger and touch my shoulder and it's in agony. I take my finger and touch my head and pain shoots through me. What is wrong with me? The doctor looked at him and replied, it looks to me like you have a broken finger. <laughs> if your finger's broken, it doesn't matter where you touch, does it? If we lack purpose and vision, individually and corporately, there is something wrong with everything we touch. There is the pain of incompleteness, the lack of fulfillment, the hurt of meaninglessness. Everything hurts when you are going through life and not, know what, and not knowing what you're doing or why you're doing it. We were never meant to be like gerbils that run around in tubes or pinwheels going nowhere. We were made to be salt and light. 
We were made to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We were made to change humanity. We were not created to live gerbil lives, running harder and harder, going nowhere, and getting exhausted. So let me ask you, do you know what you are really about today? Have you thought about it lately? When God made you, he had significance in mind. He meant for your life to have importance. And that hinges on understanding why you're here. God's purpose for your life isn't centered on comfort or ease. It isn't for you to make piles of money or have a nice house. It's about a world made different through you. We are called to pursue Christ's kingdom, Christ's values, Christ's presence, Christ's priorities. Purpose is about what we chase in life. It's about whose agenda gets followed. When the famous artist Whistler, you know, the guy that did Whistler's mother, was at the pinnacle of his artistic career and world famous, a wealthy patron bought one of his paintings on the condition that the artist would accompany him home and select the perfect spot to hang the picture. And after they arrived at the man's palatial home, the man held up the painting in a number of sites and asked, how about this? But in none of the sites did it seem satisfactory. Finally, Whistler said, you're going about this all the wrong way. What you must do is pick a room, remove all the furnishings from that room, hang the painting there where it will be best displayed, and then arrange the furniture in relationship to the painting. I heard that and thought, that will preach. Many Christians are going about the business of living all wrong. Many just want God to be just another object in the house, just another piece of furniture, not the centerpiece. But purpose starts for us when Christ is the centerpiece, when Christ is the thing. Purpose starts when we realize it's not just about me or us anymore. It starts when we realize we are called beyond ourselves. Think about it. How much of what we read or hear, even in Christian circles, never ta really takes us beyond ourselves, never lifts us, even for a moment, from the focus of me or us or mine. Even best-selling Christian books almost focus on how we solve our problems or manage our money or raise our kids or get our miracles or feed our souls. In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with any of them. In fact, most of them that I just mentioned are vital. But there has to be a balance. There has to be something in our personal agendas that take us beyond our personal agendas to what Christ is doing in the world. We have to connect to the world on his behalf because real Christianity and real spirituality comes when we engage the world with all that we are, where we are. I love what Mark Buchanan wrote. He said, the everlasting flits at the edges of the everyday. I love that. Let me read that again. I wish I'd written that. The everlasting flits at the edges of the everyday. It can show up in conversation you get into at the grocery checkout when the cashier just dropped your eggs. It can happen with your child who is driving you crazy and beyond what you think you have patience for. It can happen with a coworker who is irritating the snot out of you. 
It happens at those times, in those places, when something of God's goodness and His kindness and His justice, God's shalom, is chosen over what the flesh wants. Jesus is alive, and He keeps showing up everywhere, anywhere. On one of a, a, a podcast called The Moth, which features true stories told without notes, there's a story told by Ellie Lee on the wisdom of her father, Ming. Ming was a Chinese immigrant who succeeded in America by selling groceries to other Chinese immigrants at prices just mere percentage points above cost. One day, a nine-year-old boy came into Ming's store and began shoplifting. Ming followed the boy, who didn't know that Ming was the store owner, and this boy brazenly put, picked things off the shelf. Then he sat down in the middle of the aisle and started eating all the food he had just shoplifted. Ming watched, and when it seemed that the boy had eaten enough, he said, Are you full? Almost, said the boy. Where are your parents? They work, said the boy. Why aren't you at home? There's no food there. I'm hungry. That's why I came here. My friend, Ming said, I own this store. You have just stolen from me, and that is not a good thing. I don't want you doing that again, okay? The boy, frightened and pale, nodded. And then Ming said, what I'm asking is this. Whenever you're hungry, you come right in here and tell me, and I will make sure you have enough to eat, always. For years, Ming's little friend ate well. Anytime he was hungry, he knew where he could go. That is the kingdom of God breaking into the ordinary right there. And that is what we are called to do. We are Christ carriers. And we can do kingdom work anywhere and everywhere. And again, coming back to Buchanan, he says, I suggest our evangelism remain inviting people to church. But I suggest we also include inviting people into the kingdom because the kingdom goes beyond even the church. The church is part of the kingdom, but the kingdom goes beyond the church. He said, I suggest we also not only invite people to church, but invite them into the kingdom. And the great thing is, though, your neighbor or coworker may right now have zero interest in coming to your church, he or she may already be stumbling around in the kingdom. He said, in my town, non-church people care about the homeless, just like Christians, single mothers, just like Christians, the high level of malnutrition and illiteracy among low-income families, just like Christians, the problem of gangs, the enduring legacy of racial animosity, and a hundred other things. God cares about all this. God's kingdom speaks to all of this, whether it's inside the church walls or not. We can reflect God's care. We can bring the kingdom to people who care about kingdom things and they don't know it. Because, you see, the kingdom of God is where Christ is operating. And the kingdom of God is where we go. Because Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within us. Do you remember that? We, like I said, we are Christ carriers. We are called as salt and light to infiltrate the world at our jobs, at our schools, our neighborhoods, our city. And then when people catch a whiff of that kingdom, we are to be ready to articulate to those around us just what is happening. 
that the kingdom of God has come into their midst. And they didn't even know it. Would you like to meet the king of the kingdom? Are you re- are, you're already interested in kingdom stuff, we can say. Why don't you join the kingdom? You can do that at the PTA. You can do that at work. You can help connect the dots for people who care about things that touch God's heart. You can point them to the God already operating right here, right now, and they were ignorant of it. Are you interested? I don't know about you, but that that gets me a little excited sometimes. Do you have a listening ear? Do you have a loving touch? Do you have the capacity for hospitality? Can you make a meal for a friend in need? You can carry the kingdom into those situations. I know of a church that washes windows and changes screen doors for the elderly every fall. Another fixes cars for single moms who don't know how to maintenance or cannot afford to maintenance their cars. A church in Texas takes single parents away on long weekends for rest and recreation while they provide child care. Hallelujah. <laughs> As carriers of the love of God, our place of employment should, be a be- should have a better atmosphere at- because we are there. What kind of difference do you make where you work? Is it a kinder, gentler place? By the way, is, does, actually, if, unless there's some real dysfunctionality going on, it should be a more productive place because Christians are there. As carriers of the love of God, our neighbors ought to see at least a little difference in our attitudes about life as opposed to theirs. So should the gas station attendant or the bag boy at the grocery store. Let me ask you, when people see you coming, are they happy? Or do they go, oh, no. Here comes Mr. or Mrs. Religious Sourpuss. Authentic Christianity is not just about protecting the faith or keeping the rules. It's about engaging our world with acts of love that show off Jesus to believers and non-believers alike. That's what salt and light is. Carl F.H. Henry wrote, Can we take a holy initiative in history? Can we put an ungodly world on the defensive again? Can we show human beings the folly of opposing him who has already overcome the world, of rejecting fellowship to the coming king? Will we offer civilization a realistic option or only a warning of impending doom? Will Christianity speak only to people's fears and frustrations, or will it also fill the vacuums in their hearts and crown their longings for life at its best? When the church is truly salt and light, there is something indescribably attractive about it. People should be drawn to it. I remember when Scott Peck talked about his community building, uh, uh, you know, uh, work. You know, he's gone on to be with the Lord. But, but, you know, and I knew a woman who grew up in my hometown. Her name was Pat White. And she worked with Scott Peck on this, and I had conversations with her about this. And she said, you know, we, we would go into places of business or go into, you know, universities, and we would start the community building process. And, and she said, it was unbelievably magnetic. 
When people saw us building community, the people serving us food or the people, you know, teaching or, you know, people around us somehow, she said that when we were building community, people were drawn like moss to the flame. They kept saying, what is going on here? We don't know what's going on here, but we want to be a part of it. That's the way church should be. The attraction, the magnetism of the love of God flowing through people. As lovers of Jesus Christ, we are to show the world life at its best, wherever we are. One Christian minister was stopped in an airport, and the woman said, "Uh, I'm a believer. I wish that I could be in full-time Christian service like you. What is it you do, the minister asked. Well, I'm still in school, she said. I'm finishing up my doctoral work in molecular biology. I almost chose that, but I decided to be a preacher. I had planned to teach full-time. I love it. But lately, I've realized I could do more for the Lord. My parents were missionaries, and I'm thinking of going to Brazil as a missionary. And the minister said, you are in a tremendous position to be a missionary right where you are. How many Christians are there who are molecular biologists in your department? The university needs you. She looked relieved, even excited as it sank in. She was a missionary right where she was. Thousands of Christians suffer from the same kind of false understanding of vocation and a parallel understanding of how God places particular people in particular places in every arena to be salt and accomplish his preserving, flavoring purposes. You know, I, you are on the front lines. I'm in a job where I almost never get on the front lines. But some of you work in offices and schools and hospitals. Some of you work in factories. Some of you work... You work all over the place. And you are on the front lines in the way I can never be. Because you are rubbing up against the world. When people find out I'm a preacher, that's the end of the rubbing. There is a, you know, when I play golf. And somebody after nine holes says, "Uh, what do you do? And I say, I'm a preacher. You can see them stop and try to review how many times they cussed in the first nine holes. I tell them, I do not care. I grew up with my father. And what does it say in the Christmas story? Cursing was his medium. You know, anyway. Where can you make a difference where you are? That's the question. What Christians must do in a post-Christian age can be likened to the way, this writer says, that the underground operated in Europe during the Nazi occupation in World War II. The underground had its own elaborate network of signals, method of communication, maps, charts, and its own command structure. He said the parallel is a bit extreme perhaps, but useful as Christians determine how they will network with one another in a culture hostile to the open expression of Christian truth and faith. Have you sat down and before the Lord said, Lord, how can we infiltrate? In 17th century London, as Reformation thinking about the church's influence in society was making itself felt in the city, 
Someone painted a billboard with a picture of a tailor, a cook, a blacksmith, and a saddle maker. And on that billboard, like maybe we could do this one on ours, the inscription read, these tradesmen are the preachers in the city of London, 1647. You're going to reach people I will never reach. You're going to rub elbows with people who will never set foot in this church. Are you bringing the kingdom to them? Who are the preachers of America in the 21st century? I guarantee you it won't be preachers. We are to infiltrate the arena in which God has placed us. I do know this. In order to be God's salt and light, we can never forget who we are. Nehemiah never forgot who God was. He never forgot who Israel was. He never forgot who he was, despite doing well in a foreign, strange land called Persia. He never forgot his chosenness. That's why Nehemiah went back to restore Jerusalem. It was central to his purpose. His home was Jerusalem, not Persia. His family was Israel, not the worshipers of false gods. His Lord was Yahweh not Xerxes. When it comes to calling, to vision, it's critical for us to remember you and I are the eternal children of God. The great temptation is to sell ourselves short, to see ourselves merely as consumers or business people or spouses or providers or parents or Americans. We are to live as if eternity is our destiny. Our worth is because God made us in his image. And he saved us after that image was marred. He loves us just as we are, just as we are, while he makes us more like he is. We must never forget who we are and live as if this strange world is our home. You are the new Israel. You are the chosen of God. You are the beloved of the Father. Do not see yourself as anything less. Don't sell yourself for some inhumanely low price. Don't give yourself to anything less than Jesus Christ and his incoming kingdom. Nehemiah would not come off the wall. His purpose gave him power. I love what he said. I'm doing a great work and cannot come down. Four times they said, come down and negotiate. Four times he said, I ain't coming down. As one medical doctor from the University of Vienna wrote, there is nothing in the world which helps us surmount our difficulties, survive our disasters, or keeps us healthy and happy as the knowledge of a life task worthy of our devotion. We cannot advance in life with any buoyancy unless we are sure that where we are going has a destination and what we are doing has meaning. Wilfred, Wilfred Greffel, a noted missionary, described to an audience back in America the difficulties he had endured on the mission field. And as he spoke, a woman in the audience said to him, Dr. Greffel, I'm so sorry you've had to go through so many hardships as a missionary. And Dr. Greffel responded, oh, my dear lady, you misunderstand me. I am having the time of my life. Let me ask you this morning, 
Are you having the time of your life? Nehemiah, despite all the hardships, would say yes. Despite Sanballat, despite trying to organize this massive rebuilding project, despite the opposition out there and the danger, I think Nehemiah would say, I am having the time of my life. I've been a pastor for 44 years, and there have been unbelievable ups and downs. And I've seen things, heartbreaking things. But I've got to tell you, when I look back, I have had the time of my life. I wouldn't have traded it for anything. I wouldn't have wanted to do anything different despite the fact that God had to drag me kicking and screaming into the kingdom and kicking and screaming into the pastorate. And there have been a few times I've said, Lord, I'm ready to go now. You know, just before this next board meeting, I'm ready to go now. But I have had the time of my life. And so I leave you with this question for us to think about and pray about today. Where can you infiltrate for the kingdom? Where has God placed you? Who is God calling you to pray for? To befriend? To help? To listen to? To stand up for? To write a note to? Where can you be salt and light? Where can you bring the kingdom? When you look at the world through kingdom lenses, the world becomes a very exciting place. Instead of seeing problems, you see all kinds of opportunities. What a difference Jesus could make here. What a difference Jesus could make there. Wow, what if this person got saved? Wow, what if, what if, what if? So often Christians have a defensive mentality. Oh, the world is going to hell and oh man, I just need to get into my ark and close the door and wait for the end. That is not what you, you cannot be salt and light in the salt shaker. You have to get out. Salt has to mingle with meat. Light has to get out from under the bushel basket. Look at the world through Christ's eyes and you will see a world of opportunity for all kinds of friends, for all kinds of possibilities, for all kinds of good. Don't be afraid of the world. It is the world who should be afraid of us and let us assault it. Assault it? Oh, come on. Took hours to get that. Come on. <laughs> I didn't know that was coming either. That's what I... <laughs> this year, this year, let us ask Jesus to show us where we are and what we can do. You know, we pray for revival. I'm praying for revival. I'm seeing the Lord move more and more and more in this church. But I've got to tell you, revival isn't just for us to all get zapped in this sanctuary. It is for people out there to get zapped with the love of God. And so, here's how we're going to close this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit... Lord, where in my life do you want me 
to bring the kingdom? Where in my life do you want me to pray or love or listen? Where can I help? Where can I stand up for you? Lord, show me at my job, in my neighborhood, at the PTA, at wherever. Show me, Lord, how the, how the opportunities are. Show me the many opportunities that you see that I don't see right now and that you can use me. You can use me to being a kingdom bearer. Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, source of all creativity, help us to be creative where we are. You who are love, help us to be loving with your love where we are. Lord, the children heard about courage this morning. Give us courage to make a difference. Not to be obnoxious and not to be insensitive, but Lord, help us to be light and salt. Help us to be attractive. May people be drawn to you through us wherever we are. Help us to be that kind of person. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like the worship team to come forward. And I would like uh, the intercessors to come forward. And I'd like you to stand. And we're going to worship the Lord. And again, we never want to leave here without giving people who need prayer, an opportunity to get prayer. And so let us sing and uh, as we close this service, and uh, then we'll go. I'm going to lead you guys in a cappella. I'm not sure what, where the piano player went, but I can. I don't mind saying for as long as you need me to.
When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm sorry lord for the thing i've made it when it's all about you it's all about you jesus It's all about you, 
saying is the proper perspective it is all about you again Lord Jesus help us to look at the world through your eyes help us Lord to feel your nudges help us Lord to allow your love to pass through us into the people near us let us do our part Lord to bring the kingdom of God in your name we ask it and all God's people say Amen.